Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Our topic tonight is called Navigating with Mental Health, Conflict and Relationships with our visitor, Brian Noller. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate that you've made the effort, extra effort, to be here live and in person. You've driven in from how far? Vancouver? Uh, no, not, not quite. About, uh, I live in a, a town called Chatham. About, it's about a three-hour drive, three-and-a-half-hour drive. Yeah. But it was well worth it. I have an 18-year-old son, and he road-tripped it with me. So. Yeah, so you had some company. Somebody mm-hmm. to talk to or yes. somebody to listen to? A little bit of both. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. So how about you start off and share some information about your professional background? Certainly. Uh, so first off, as I mentioned, I, I have an 18-year-old son. I have a 15-year-old son, and I uh, have a wonderful wife named Kathy at home who's probably listening to this. Uh, professionally, I've been a police officer 22 years. I've had a chance to work across the province of Ontario in lots of different areas, both uh, geographically and you know, operationally. Uh, so I consider myself very lucky to have... Uh, a really wide range of experiences that way. Uh, I'm also a lawyer. I'm not a practicing lawyer, but I'm a lawyer. Uh, I went to law school before I became a police officer and then did a, a career focus when I graduated. I, in the last probably three, four years, I've become really interested in topics around leadership and how they tie into mental health. Uh, I have I have a, a very close connection to mental health issues and, and uh a real awareness of that and a real respect for it due to some things that I've dealt with in my career. And now um, we were talking before you mentioned, you know, this, this was your passion. And I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say my passion in that sense is dealing with not only first responders uh, who are dealing with mental health issues, but mental health issues in the community, uh, in, in society at large, and really uh, working with people who are in leadership roles to shepherd them and guide them towards the very key and critical role that they have. So that's, that's my latest, uh, that's my latest passion. Well, I appreciate people who have passions, you know, there's a, there's an effort in, an interest to really walk your talk and talk your walk mm-hmm. True. and be connected to what you're speaking and speaking of and about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about lived experiences. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, the reason I focus on leadership is because when I was going through my own journey back from a very dark place from PTSD, uh, job-related PTSD, I had a couple of people who were very strong leaders, what I call capital L leaders, and they were the ones to reach out and you know pull me up, not you know push me back off the cliff or well that's you know that's too bad, sorry about your luck, but you got a job to do. So the yeah. The best leaders I dealt with during probably the last almost, I guess, eight years uh, were those ones who were empathetic mm-hmm. and strong and were not afraid, like I said, to say, hey, we'll get through this together. 
uh, what do you need? Yeah, they recognize you're a human being. Yes. And not a yes. just a functioning individual that had no capacity. You had no feelings. You yes. were not affected and you were not affecting. Yes, and and showed that themselves. I mean, there's a lot to be said when you're in a, uh, a leadership role to have empathy, to, have, mm-hmm. to use communication skills, to... Mm-hmm worry about your team to recognize that your team is is your you know that's your currency yeah that's your that should be your your primary focus is the people that you have the because really leadership is an honor it is an honor to lead and um i've just been lucky enough that i've been able to tie uh, career and professional development to this area of, of mental health that is uh obviously growing in leaps and bounds both in volume and in seriousness uh, across all sectors of society. Yeah, I, I very much relate to the emotional intelligence and the empathy, self-awareness, compassion. Because I also, in addition, I teach a, a course at U of T School of Continuing Studies mm. called Powerful Negotiation Skills, and that's an integral component. It's collaborative interest-based negotiation. So using the concept of emotional intelligence through Daniel Goleman and the self-awareness trying to create a bridge or connection from oneself with another to build upon that bridge of, okay, so we've got my interests, you've got your interests. How can we sort of navigate to become our interests more shared? Yeah. And that's ideally what you're, what you're shooting for, right? Yeah. Um, especially when you are dealing with people who are in crisis and it, there, I mean, I, I've I've learned a couple of really basic things about people in crisis, both through policing and through my own experience. People who are in crisis want to know that they're not alone, literally in the sense that other people are having crises as well. You're not some freak. You're not some you know mutant out in the desert by yourself, and you're not alone in the, in the sense that there are people who will help. There mm-hmm. are people who are worried about you. There are people who care about you. And once you know that, once you realize, hey, you know what, this this time of my life is, is awful and it's dark and it's dreary, but it's nice to know that I'm not going through it alone. When you see even that little, you know, that little point of light in that dark, dark tunnel, it, it starts to turn your whole world around. Your whole worldview changes. So about the work you do, mm-hmm. what do you value somewhat the most about it? In terms of policing or Or just the work that you're currently focused on because you you're a a lawyer who's licensed i guess though not practicing yes you were a police officer for a number of years still am you are still am you're on okay Mm -hmm. so you deal in the worlds of well i'll put these quotes around a conflict yes and related trauma crisis unexpected and people's lived experiences what is it about these different streams of connecting with people or trying to connect that you most value well you know when i started out i was like you know a lot of rookie lawyers and a lot of rookie police officers i'm going to you know go out and change the world and help everyone and unfortunately when you get into the real world you realize that that's simply not possible you can't help everyone you don't have it in you physically, emotionally, logistically, and quite frankly, some people don't want to be helped. So it became more like, okay, let's see if we can stop the bleeding, 
put a bandage on it, do some first aid, do some, you know, we'll, we'll do a little triage. And, right. and if you, if you look at it that way, um, then it, I think it becomes a lot easier than to think, Oh my, you know, Oh my God, I'm, I'm only one police officer and there's so much, or one paramedic or firefighter, or social worker or whatever. Yeah. And there's so much out there that needs to be fixed. How can I fix it? Well, you fix it by just one step at a time, one day at a time, yeah. you deal with one crisis at a time. And I remember when I started as a police officer, my coach officer said, you know, you, there's going to be days that are awful and you're going to feel exhausted and you're going to feel like there's nothing good in the world. But remember, if you made a difference in one person's mm -hmm. world that day, then you've, you've done something good and you've, and you know, you can go home and, and if you're going home, alive to your family at the end of your shift you've you've done you know you've you've done what you set out to do and i uh and i guess i've carried that over into you know the work with the, the leadership and the mental health as well mm -hmm. you know when i present uh I, so I, I do training and i do presenting you know tell my story sometimes my wife presents with me as you know as a couple going through trauma and i promised myself that i would always be completely honest tell the truth and tell the I mean, it's not a pretty story. There's a lot of times when I do not come across as a hero by any means. Um, but I always say if I can tell my story and see one person in the audience who has that light bulb moment where you can mm -hmm. see their eyes kind of light up and go, oh, I get it. I understand. Or, oh, it's okay to feel this way. Then I'll, I'll tell my story a million times. Knowing, knowing that I've been able to touch someone at that level, um, whether it's been you know, setting them on a better path because I dealt with them and as a, as a, you know, a violator, a lawbreaker, or someone who has read one of my books and has reached out and said, Hey, I, uh, thanks for telling your story. And, and this has been uh, a chance for me to see I'm not by myself and some absolutely incredible experiences I've had just because of, of being honest and open and, and putting myself out there. If you do that, people will, that's, that's what you found out, eh? Yes. That was my, you know, my light bulbs too, working in community development work. And so, you know, people in the community are struggling, going through their everyday lived experiences. There could be, there's systemic issues, there's everyday lived experiences because of the systemic issues. And then if you try to do community development work, you say, my God, it's so big. It's so much bigger than... I'm able as one person to do like just similar to what you just said. So it took the approach early on work with one person at a time, mm -hmm. one step at a time in, you know, in this uh, community, the Spanish speakers, they have the saying, poco a poco, paso a paso, step by step. So that, that's the, the knowledge to try to organize oneself to, you know, with the passion, you can get ahead of yourself sometimes because mm -hmm. you yes. have a tendency People who have these passions, such as yourself, maybe you don't like to say no. No, that's that's true. I think that's true of a lot of people who are strong leaders. Yeah. Uh, they they don't like to say no. They don't like to feel like they're letting someone down. Yeah. But I've also found that a huge part of a huge part of my recovery and something I'm still practicing and learning every day mm -hmm. is uh, self care. Yeah. And sometimes self care means. I can't take on another project. Well, reality checking oneself. Yes. So a, a lot of your work is really about people going through these struggles, mm -hmm. challenges. Yep. Why would you intentionally put yourself in that kind of uh, 
professional practice? Well, because I, I saw what not doing that can do. Um, th- there was a time at the end of 2011, and this is, this is no secret. I mean, I talk about it in my writing. I talk about it when I, I speak. Uh, I was in a really, really bad place. Uh, very dark place, uh, really disconnected from my family, using alcohol to cope. Uh, twice I had contemplated suicide because I just didn't see any other way out. Uh, finally crashed and, and you know hit rock bottom in January of 2012, and then everything, luckily, from there, touch wood, was back up. Um, but looking back, there were you know, so many times that I should have reached out to my wife, reached out to my family, reached out to peers, um, you know, taken advantage of resources that were there. And I realized that, um, you know, even though I I had gotten to a fairly advanced leadership position in in policing and supervision, um, and I I was even involved in in mental health and debriefings, I I never did that. You you alluded earlier to, you know, self-reflection and looking in the mirror, Mm -hmm. and I didn't do that. Uh, I was so wrapped up in the next project, the next promotion, the next, you know, what was coming next that I I never took time to, you know, enjoy that journey. And then, you know, you throw in the the post-traumatic stress and it just adds a whole other component to it. And quite frankly, I I didn't want to see other good people, whether, you know, in the first responder field or or not, uh, go through that same experience. You know, I, I feel like I lost probably six or seven years of, of my life with my, you know, years I'm not going to get back with my boys when they remember dad as, you know, moody and angry and, you know, hiding out in the garage. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get the time back with my spouse. Same thing. And I decided, you know what, I, I, I'm lucky. I, bound, I, I, I didn't make it back from that place. I did make it back with my family and my home life and my professional life and you know, reasonably intact. And, uh, I thought I, I need to, you know, I need to give back. I need to, you know, emulate those leaders I mentioned who put a hand out to me and said, yeah, let's do this together. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I choose to sometimes immerse myself into, you know, this, this world of, of people in conflict and in crisis. Um, so what I understand is, you know, you went through your experiences. It has a, it had a profound effect. Absolutely. And then for a period of time, which I still want to unpack a little more, mm-hmm. that it caused you to disconnect somewhat from the broader, the work, your family, mm-hmm. professionally, etc. And then somehow you got some kind of light of some form. And then there was a connection made to help for yourself through someone else, maybe. Yes to reach out to then support you to navigate through to become intentionally with people who have go- are or uh, have been going through similar circumstances that caused you to go to that depth. Yes. So it's like a reframe. You've taken the uh, negative yes. and turned it into a more positive, hopeful situation that you can be... Uh, a support and guide for others. Yes, that, that that's what I was. That's what I've I always hope for. And there's actually um, it's actually a, a very cool concept, and it's slowly gaining ground with you know mental health professionals. It's called post traumatic growth. The concept being that if you make it through your period of trauma, whether it's job related or uh, I mean, 
trauma takes on many forms, right? You know, uh, for me, it was it was related to my role as a first responder. But I mean, it's not limited. You know, victims of crime, victims of natural disaster, victims of childhood abuse. You know, trauma comes in unfortunately many different mm-hmm. forms. Um, but the theory is, if you can get through whatever your trauma is, and you can get through it without you know drinking yourself into a coma, or you know, taking your own life or swallowing, you know, pills every night or whatever it is, you can become a better version of yourself because you've been through that experience, Mm -hmm. you know, you've been baked in those fires and you come out of it, you know, basically a better, more loving, stronger version of yourself. And I found that. And for me, that manifested itself in talking about my experience, writing about it, um, sharing my story with others who are going through the same thing. And a a reframe is a perfect way to put it because I I had to completely, when I had my light bulb moment, it was nothing dramatic. It was nothing, you know, earth shattering. It was just a realization that I had hit bottom and I needed to fix it. Mm -hmm. And someone who loved me very much said, you need to fix this or... There's consequences. Yes, absolutely. And she knows who she is. Mm -hmm. Um... And that, that was my light bulb moment that I have to reevaluate, not just this, you know, this sort of cloud of trauma, but everything that it it had done, it had crept into every aspect of my life, both professional and personal. And I did a complete 180 and completely rewrote the -hmm. programming that, that was Brian. Right. So rewired yourself in some form. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this guy sitting here 10 11 years ago was not not always a great guy and uh I, when i look back on those times quite frankly greg i'm i'm ashamed sometimes of of that brian and what that brian did and said and put people through so well at the same time that's uh why you're a human being and uh you know when we go to those depths and you had that light bulb not everybody goes toward that light no others go well, that's too shiny. That's too bright. They go the other way. They go deeper into the depths of darkness. Yes. So there's something that happened for you that's inside of you that provided for you to intentionally go toward the light mm-hmm. and create more light upon your life to then become, you know, go down this path that you've or created this path. So, you know, individuals, we're all comprised of different kind of qualities and characteristics. And so you're... You know, you're equipped with that. Mm-hmm. I needed to just dig it out. It, it was buried under a lot of layers of, I kind of equate it to, um, you know, d- just before I, I had this sort of, you know, my, again, you know, call it my light bulb moment, basically standing in a, a very deep well, looking up and seeing a very small pinpoint of light and, uh, you know, standing maybe up to my waist or up to my chest and, oil tar black paint something like that and i was just sinking deeper into it i couldn't get any purchase on the walls of that well to climb up and then uh, the right set of circumstances and people came together Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the well got a little shallower maybe someone threw a ladder down to me and all of a sudden i was thinking yeah okay this this point of light's getting bigger there's there's again it's very cliche but there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we rationalize it, whatever we do, yes. mm-hmm. and we make sense of it in that moment. And then, you know, hopefully it's uh, a step towards something of 
bettering ourselves or getting ourselves out of the situation towards something that can be much more positively profound in transforming our our lives. Yes, and I'm I'm really glad I did go that way because I I, I alluded to you know a couple times I thought I I can't do this anymore and I was ready to kill myself to mm-hmm. be very blunt mm-hmm. and uh, you know in the field I work in uh, unfortunately you know first responder and military suicide is very common uh, now I don't know how much of it is tied to PTSD the studies vary. I, I basically leave it at, I can understand how people get to that. Can point. you just, for the benefit of the listener, expand on PTSD? Just, what is that? That's an acronym. You know what? Yes. Sorry. I, I should have. No, that's okay. So, that's why I'm here too. So, <laughs> so PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, the disorder part is under some... Um, challenge? Challenge. Uh, a, a very wide ac- across a very... You know, the, the mental health spectrum, a lot of people say, no, it's not a disorder. It's just simply a state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, the gist of it is, the post-traumatic stress part is, it's a, uh, a physical and uh, physiological, I should say, and psychological reaction to an extreme event. So it's very similar to when, uh, you know, your body goes through, um, say you... Uh, I'll use an example a lot of people can relate to. You come very close to getting into a, a, a crash in your car mm-hmm. and your heart's racing and you're breathing and your adrenaline's going. That is a response to a critical situation. That's your fight or flight response. You can't fight it. A it's panic been, attack of yes, some form. Yep. Right? It's, it's ingrained into our DNA and it's been there for you know hundreds of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Picture that happening all the time your body is constantly in that fight or flight state mm-hmm. and you're edgy and you're worried about, you don't like people behind you and you're loud. Some people loud noises startle them or certain sounds or smells you know, and they take you right back to the event. Basically it's a, it's a common reaction or it's a, a reasonable reaction to an unreasonable event, but it keeps going and going and yeah. it becomes normalized. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, it's quite remarkable, actually. There's there's studies that show that uh, trauma, post traumatic stress, actually rewires and, and changes your brain chemistry. Um, now, like I mentioned, I my uh, my post traumatic stress is from a call I attended as a very young police officer that involved the death of a, a very close friend. Um, but it's it hap- it, it can build up over a course of a lot of small events that uh-huh. happen. Uh, like I said, it can be someone can be the victim of a crime or of a natural disaster or, um, like I said, childhood, you know, childhood abuse. Um, or it can be one big, massive event that simply seems so outrageous that it overwhelms your, your body's ability to cope. Yeah. It leaves a legacy of the trauma. Yes. Abs- and actually, there's, uh, there's a lot of theories out there as well that trauma stays in your body. Mm-hmm. And it manifests itself as tumors and cancer and, you know, disease and, and dysfunction. So um, there's a very, very close tie between body and brain. Yeah. And I personally believe that one, they they bounce off each other and they, they interact, which yeah. is why going back to, I believe self-care is so important. You know, proper nutrition, exercise, taking care of yourself physically will help take care of you mentally. Yeah, it's it's all connected for sure so in in terms of your own circumstance and situation 
what, what is it like for you in doing the work you do overall? Whether it's a frontline officer or a police officer doing that work, and now you've really devoted and invested a lot of energy into informing and educating about PTSD, etc. What does that mean? Um, well, you know what? Just I just one thing I, I did want to throw in before we we move on to this. Just because you go through a critical incident does not mean you're going to develop post traumatic stress. I, I, I want to. Yeah, there's not a direct cause and effect yes, per se. Trauma is extremely relative. It's very personal. Um, and I would suggest you don't self diagnose yourself with PTSD. It takes, uh, it, it really does take a professional to walk you through this process of discovery. Um, however, if you do think you've dealt with something that is leaving that legacy, that, that lingering, uh, you know, echoes in your, in your, your brain, in your heart, talk to someone about it. Because that was my problem. I didn't talk to anybody for seven years. So You're a private guy? No, I thought I could handle it. I thought, you know what? This is part of being a cop. I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to work close to the town I grew up in. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to eventually you know, uh, get to a point where I was leading people. And I thought I was very much of that old school mentality that suck it up, deal with it. Uh, you want to be a cop, you want to be in uniform. Is, is that more about the police officer or is that combination of being a male too? Uh, yeah. Or yes. Machismo I, and that type of stuff. I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, there is actually a very strong, um, gender bias to post-traumatic stress as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And in my case, I, when it happened, like I said, I was, you know, four or five years in the job. I thought I could handle everything. And I had so many opportunities to open up to people and I didn't. So it was completely of my own doing. Um, so now, you know, when I present to, let's say, a class of police recruits or, a you know, class of fire recruits, the first thing I tell them is don't bottle it up. Don't, it's not cool to keep it tucked away. It's not doing you any good. It's just eating away at you, whether you know it or not. So for God's sake, tell someone. So when you are presenting that kind, especially to new uh Police officers are coming fresh out of uh, their training and haven't really tr transitioned yet to their active duty. Mm. How do you provide that your message is heard, your message resonates with them? Because it's one thing to say something, and it's another thing for the listener. So you're the speaker, for example. It's another thing. How do you get the listener to actually comprehend or incorporate or even consider that seriously in some way because the messaging, the manner of messaging is really important. Communication. Yes. I think coming from a position of lived experience makes a huge impact. Um, especially when I can tell, you know, whomever the audience is that, you know what? Yes. Trauma was awful. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy and I lost years and I, you know, um, you know, I lost years of, of with, you know, as, like I said, with my family and I, I had setbacks in my career, but I'm still here. And guess what? I've gotten back to where I was. I've surpassed it. It doesn't have to be the end of anything. You know, your, your role as a spouse, as a, a child, as a parent, you know, whatever job you have, trauma doesn't have to be the end of anything. And in fact, if you let it, it can lead to that post-traumatic growth. Sometimes you can see the little sparkle in the eyes or the light bulb go on and they go, oh, I get it. 
it's part of policing, fire, EMS, nursing, whatever. You know, I've been very lucky in, in the groups I've been able to speak with, very diverse. And you can see that there's some who think, no, it won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And right. they just shut down and, and, you know, the body language. They close, they block it off yep. and they just yes. move on. Um, the Some of the most rewarding feedback I've gotten from, you know, these different groups I've spoken with are sometimes just a very, you know, when I'm done speaking, just a very heartfelt thank you. Uh, I, I changed how I think about this and thank you for telling your story. Sometimes I get very honest, very detailed emails or messages about, you know, you know, you being straight up with us today made me think about this issue and I realize I have to deal with it or I'm not going to, you know, I'll never make it in policing. Some people have come up and just spilled their guts about their life. And I, Mm -hmm. I actually take that as a compliment because it means you've connected on a very deep level and sometimes a very short time with your audience. Um, you know, triaging. Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, my wife has very much the same experiences when she speaks from a spouse's perspective. I couldn't tell you how many times people spouses have gone over to her and said, you know what? I thought I was alone. I thought I was crazy. I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not imagining these changes in my partner. Mm -hmm. Um, so getting that kind of honest feedback and, and, um, being asked to come back you know, for a repeat performance, uh, I've been very lucky to speak to the last three constable intakes at Ontario Police College. And the fact that they keep asking me to come back and keep getting good feedback says to me that someone's, you know, someone in there is getting it. You're making a positive difference. Yes. And there's an interest to continue with that and also to build upon that. Yes. Because, you know, change society in general, my experience is that People resist change yeah. for different oh, reasons. Absolutely. Right? So they find different ways to navigate around it. And I really encourage, it's, I sense from you, to navigate through it. Yes. That's where you actually feel it and you can actually deal with it much more profoundly. And that's where the greatest growth and development works when we go to our vulnerable places. Yeah, absolutely. You have to peel back the layers and let yourself... Um, you know, sometimes, you know, being in that leadership role, being in that position means you've got to make yourself vulnerable. And for some people that's extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do love too is, um, you know, my, again, I, my son's probably listening, sitting in the hotel room, he's going to kill me, but his, so he's 18, his generation, his era of friends have no problem talking to each other about mental health issues, depression, um, substance abuse, you know, whatever the case may be. I've noticed that younger recruits, they're now getting, you know, psychological first aid, mental health first aid, and, you know, that triaging of each other. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was a bad call. It was a bad day. Are you okay? This era of, you know, first responders and frontline professionals, they'll grow up, hopefully, thinking that that's normal. Just like, just like we thought, okay, if you, if, uh, if you, break your wrist or if you throw out your back, you know, pulling a, a fire hose up a ladder or, or, you know, fighting with a suspect, that's okay. You know, you'll get teased, you'll get bugged, but that's okay to be off for that. But if you can't get an image out of your head from uh, a call or something that happened to you on the, you know, in the course of doing what you love, there's something wrong with it. And, and I'm really encouraged that this, you know, era of, of professionals coming up are going to, 
they're going to accept a mental health issue just as legitimately as any other injury. That that gives me hope. I've seen change even in the last five, six years, and not just in my world and in society in general. Yeah. Um, there is still some stigma there, but it's getting better. I think that's why we have to keep uh, challenging these traditional norms, the status quo, because yes. we got to agitate for positive change. And just because that's the way we've done it here or do it here, is that necessarily been the best or the right way or the most inclusive that recognizes the diverse nature of society and individuality? I, I hate that answer. We've always done it this way. I, I, I yeah. hate hearing that. Well, yeah, well, you know, we, we used to, you know, until very recently in terms of, of history, women didn't have the right to vote. Does that mean that that was the right way to do it? No. Or there wasn't, you know, there's so many other um, ways society has. Yes. And if you don't agitate for that change, if, if we don't continue to evolve as a society, then really where, where are we? We're, we're, we're letting our children down. We're letting our, you know, three, four generations down the road down. We have to keep changing as, as society. Um, and I know I've, I've had, I've had other officers tell me, you know, you shouldn't talk about this. Right. Yeah. What, you know, you're, I've had a couple, they're all now retired, but, you know, accuse me of, sorry, not accuse me, say that, you know, uh, by being so upfront about my, my story, you know, I, I've committed career suicide and I'm never going to go anywhere. And, you know, why are you taking this, you know, out, out of the house? And, and maybe also you're, house. you're branding everybody of the profession of a similar type of, that's their experience too, where no way that's not part of mine. Yes. Denial is a, a strong thing there. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is. Um, and my response is basically, well, then, you know, then, then keep me here and keep me where I am because I'm not going to stop talking about this because talk, not talking about this for decades in this world of, of, you know, emergency response is why we have lost so many brothers and sisters to suicide and alcoholism and early retirement, um, and, and everything else. We can't stay quiet about these issues, about these mental health issues anymore. Not if you care. Yes. If you didn't care, well, obviously and, yep, you carry on. <laughs> Once you get that connection with care and some compassion, you know, the empath and transitioning is also to, to compassion. It's like, yeah, I feel for you. I, I understand. And then the compassion is I want to do something about it. Yes. I want to take that uh, further step to engage and support and assist to help with some kind of change. Yes. And, and that's, you know, I mentioned those, those leaders, that's what I had from those, those three or four individuals is not only, okay, obviously you're in crisis and every one of them was, how do we fix it? Not, well, you better fix it. How do we fix it? Let's do this together. So I, I had, you know, that empathy and that compassion together from those very strong leaders and, uh, they're the, you know, they're the individuals who've made the most impact on me, um, both as a police officer and just as a person, just because they, to go back to the word you used, they cared. They, and they showed they cared and it shows in their leadership style and it shows in the level of respect they had from those who they led. Yeah. I found in my work with community work 
that, you know, having doing intakes, like when people call in and they have a concern or conflict, having to do that kind of conversation on the phone and seeing if our service, what we were intending to do was of, would serve a purpose for their situation. And finding that when you use certain words, certain way, and you, you don't use other words and you don't use it other ways that you can create that connection when you show that compassion, that care, Yes, that was a profound realization for me that that's how you can transcend from self to another. That's a self-awareness for me. Well, and it's just, you know, again, to go back to that word, it's, it's just showing that you care. And, you know, I, I often, um, my wife is probably laughing at this, but, um, being a police officer, certainly we have certain, you know, you, you get used to speaking in certain terms, certain ways, like you, like you would at work. And, you know, quite often she'll remind me when I'm about to do a presentation, Hey, you're not talking to a bunch of cops. You're talking to, you know, a bunch of, you know, rotary members or a bunch of people who are, you know, are dealing with substance abuse issues, use the proper words. And I, I always kind of roll my eyes and laugh, but she's right. I, I mean, beating stigma starts with treating people with respect and with dignity. And sometimes in policing and, and in law, it's really easy to get swept up into stereotypes and, and to, um, you know, make assumptions, you know, like you alluded to earlier, that everybody, you know, everybody gets painted with the same brush. Right. And when it comes to mental health, you simply can't do that because nobody sets out to be an addict. Nobody sets out to be homeless. Nobody sets out to be on the streets without access to medication or psychological services, right? Every, every person has a story. And when I started to grasp that after going through my own, um, you know, hitting rock bottom, it completely changed the way that I looked at policing and leadership and law and the justice system and everything, because everybody has a story. Well, you know, I'm not a police officer and I wouldn't know the firsthand though. I went when my community work, I would go to the div divisions in Toronto and the police college to educate and inform about the, the opportunity that mediation community mediation would present mm -hmm. to help officers who respond to 911 calls. It's not criminal behavior. It's behavior still that's uncomfortable amongst civil society that hasn't broached into that legal sphere of you've crossed the line to criminality. It's everyday lived experiences that becomes uncomfortable for people. Yes. And so that kind of thing, you know, officers will create like any other ways of coping because you're throwing a lot of stuff Yes. And you, you know, you can't walk around per se as an empath all day. No, no, you can't. Um, it'd be too draining. And unfortunately, that would be a great way to be able to police. But the demands of the job, right. especially in a bigger area, um, you know, I have friends who work for the Toronto Police Service and um, the, the demands of attending calls simply don't allow that. If we could sit and talk with both sides of a, of a, you know, of a crisis for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, that might derail ever having to go back to that situation with an 911 call. But we simply don't usually have the time to do that 
or the resources. Yeah, in a way, like if there's a crisis situation, you know, instead of sending in the SWAT team, send in the conversation team. Yes. The empath team. Which is why there's a, a concept that um, I've I've only been introduced to it myself in the last couple of years, um, but a lot of uh, municipalities are now doing situation tables, where they'll bring police, fire, EMS, social workers, housing, they'll bring everybody to the table, mm-hmm. uh, literally, and they'll say, okay, we have this apartment block, and we keep getting called to this apartment building for X Y Z issues, and it'll be tackled as a group holistically yes, in some way yeah. yes exactly uh, and the town i live in has, has started to do that my wife's involved in her uh work with public health in that and all of a sudden you know it for years it's been a police problem well now the person who works for public housing goes well wait a minute we can throw this their mm-hmm. way the person who works for the health unit says well wait well we have an addictions program has anybody looked at that and suddenly the 911 calls go down the domestics go down, the disturbances go down because you're tackling it as a team. Um, you know, no, no man or no woman is an island. Now that's the holistic approach that I've learned to understand is the most ideal and most responsive I, I to people. So, absolutely. From your perspective, what are some of the misunderstandings or misconceptions that people have about navigating with mental health, conflict, trauma? Hmm. Um, I, th- I think the first the first one is that um, if you're dealing with some kind of issue of that nature, a psychological illness, that you know you're you're broken, you are um, not going to be, you know, you, you'll you'll no longer be good at your job, you'll no longer be good as a parent, you'll no longer be good as a spouse, and and so on, um, and and that's simply it's it's simply not true. It just means that you have been strong for a long time and for whatever reason that dam has finally burst. Um, it, 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 please don't get me wrong. It absolutely impacts your relationships. Um, I, I'd say instead of getting it wrong, I think you're getting it right by stating that. Okay, good. See, From my point see, of view. You're, you're a glass half full kind of guy, obviously. It's a reframe of <laughs> looking at the, you know, what the perceived or understood as negativity, what actually are differences from my point of view, instead of being barriers, they're opportunities. Yes. That, you know what, that's, that's a really good way to put it. Um, and, and I think that is one of the problems too, is, is with mental health, a lot of people do view it as, well, this is, this is a huge wall. I've hit this wall and I can't go any further. Now, unfortunately, in some cases that is true because people don't literally do not have access to medications or social services or supports or even family. Um, But if you, and if you can tackle it, if you do have the resources in place, if you do have the possibilities in place, then it doesn't have to be a wall. Or if it's a wall, you can knock it down or build a door in it or whatever the case may be. Um, But we can't, we can't, like you said earlier, we can't keep going around it. We can't keep going around the wall mm-hmm. because that hasn't done us really. Well, how productive has that been? Not very, you know, not at all. Mm. Um, and it, it's so widespread, you know, mental health issues are so widespread across Canada. And as I said, they're, they're growing not only in scope, uh, but in, in volume as people become more comfortable talking about it, they're willing to go to their employers. They're willing to go to their family and saying, you know what? I've been grappling with depression for the last 
three years and I've been hiding it. And all those times when I called in sick, I didn't have a cold. I didn't have a flu or whatever. I couldn't get out of bed. Or, um, you know, teenagers talking about, uh, you know, teenagers talking with each other about suicide or um, bullying. Yes, that's a huge one. Uh, I I think it's fantastic how um, some of the the discussions my son has conveyed to me that he's been privy to are things I never would have tackled with friends when I was, you know, his age, 17, 18, 19. Um, And there are so many many misunderstandings. There's so much misinformation. Educating yourself is is huge. Um, You know, especially if you do think you are dealing with something. There's so many good sources out there. There's so many good resources, you know, from very big things like the Canadian Mental Health Association all the way down to, you know, your own family doctor, counselor, priest, pastor, rabbi, you know, whatever if, if you're if you're a person of faith and that's and that's what does it for you. There are resources. They said I I lost out because I thought I could do it all on my own. And looking back now there were so many people I could have uh reached out and tapped on the shoulder. Well I'm gonna say to be fair to yourself you dealt with it the best you could at the time you were going through it. Yes. And, and that's actually one of the ways that I, uh, that's one of the ways that I came to, and that was part of therapy is coming to realize that, you know, you, the night of, you know, the night of your friend's death, you did everything you could with, with what you had at your disposal in the time since you did what you thought was right. When the time came, you made amends, you know, the problem, the problems come if you, realize you're dealing with something and you don't make any changes to your way of thinking or your way of living. Well, the the way other people, and we talked about this earlier, the reach out to bridge, connect with people is through compassion, empathy and compassion. I think we need to show ourselves that. Yes. Generally we're, we're the hardest critics of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, in the first responder world, it's very, we, we're, we're the helpers. Yeah. We don't need the help. Such a responsibility. Yes. You know, that that's that's the mindset is no, I got I started doing this job because I want to help people. I don't and it, it, it that rubs two ways. One is I don't want to be helped because my role is to help. And the other one is if I need help, am I really doing my job? And then when you when you mix those together, you know, it just becomes a horrible <laughs> mashup of doing the job you love, but feeling guilty because you think you're not doing it as best as possible. And, you know, there's so many things just mixed up in guilt and shame and, and remorse. We, we undermine ourselves. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and again, you know, we talked about this earlier step, the way that I dealt with trauma and the, the best way that I've seen other people deal with it is step by step. You yeah. knock down one symptom or mm-hmm. one issue at a time. We don't have much time left. We could talk a lot more. Yeah, honestly, yes, we probably could. There's other areas that you know the, the the trauma informed, and how we are affected by our lived circumstances, and that's and we are affecting individuals in which we impact or, or we connect with. Mm-hmm. So, what does having this conversation mean to you? Uh, this has been um, having the chance to to reach uh, well a whole new audience, and to. Um, to sort of wrap it in, in a sort of wrap it in the, the area of, of, you know, 
conflict resolution and, and crisis resolution, I don't think it's considered often enough. Uh, so being able to open this door a little bit, chatting with you tonight has been um, fantastic. And I had a chance to address many of your peers at a conference last June. At the ADRIO, yes. Alternative Dispute Resolution Institute of yep. Ontario, quickly. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the response I got to that was awesome. And I, you know, I kept hearing, this is something that needs to be dealt with more when people are in crisis. Is, as you said, a holistic approach. You can't, you can't look at a person's mental health, a client's mental health, a customer's mental health in a vacuum. It has to be part of the whole. And, and having that chance to be here tonight and, and have that discussion that way has been fantastic. Well, I appreciate you making the effort coming here and doing that and then putting yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, which I really celebrate. Thank you. And I encourage for others who might consider it, though, of course, I understand they need their way of doing it. Everybody has their time and they'll, and people will know when it, when it's their time to tell their story. Okay. Thanks for sharing. And I hope to have you back. You're listening to mediation station on CHHA 1610 AM.